0: Welcome back to the Tech Policy Grind, the Internet Law and Policy Foundry's podcast on tech policy. I'm Rima Musa, a fellow at the Foundry, and today I chat with Kier Lamont of the Future of Privacy Forum on everything that happened in US privacy legislation in 2022 and what's coming in 2023. Before we get into that conversation, I'm here with Foundry Fellow Lama Muhammad to give you the lowdown on three big headlines in tech policy this week.
1: Hi, everyone. Always a pleasure to be here. Before we get into it, just a disclaimer that the opinions, thoughts discussed on this new segment do not reflect the opinions of our employers and other institutions and organizations that we are affiliated with. So, Rima, let's get into it. What's on top of mind for you this week?
0: Killer robots. <laughs> so <laughs> on November 29th, uh, San Francisco city supervisors voted to give uh, San Francisco City police the ability to use killer robots in emergency situations, meaning that these robots would be remotely deployed and could use potentially lethal force. So this caused a huge uproar from San Franciscans, the tech policy community, and people all over the country, really. And one week later, on December 6th, so last week, uh, the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco voted to ban police robots from using deadly force at all. So now the policy has been adjusted to allow SFPD to use their robots for situational awareness, meaning they can send their robots into dangerous situations while officers stay behind, But those robots cannot deploy any lethal force. So to me, this story really shows how the power of public opinion could make a difference in tech policy implementation when the public is aware of what's going on. So you hear killer robots and immediately it sends up the alarm bells. I'm curious as to if we can expect more public reaction to big changes in tech policy on the local regional or national level in 2023.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And similar to public opinion and public pressure is Apple and its new encryption policy, which has met a lot of uh, compliments and also hesitation. So it's The really big news is that Apple announced that it plans to encrypt additional iCloud data on its servers, including full backups, photos, and notes. The feature, known as Advanced Data Protection, will prevent Apple from seeing the contents of some of the most sensitive user data stored on its servers. The move will please many security advocates, likely, because these backups are planned to be opt-in and user data content will not be exposed if Apple servers were ever breached, which I think is a big win. However, this move could also upset law enforcement since it will be impossible for Apple to provide authorities with the content of an encrypted backup. Device backups that included text messages, contacts, and other important data were not previously end-to-end encrypted, and Apple did have access to those contents to the back end, serving as a way for law enforcement to obtain those materials and investigations. This could all change in the next year. And something that we haven't discussed on this news segment before is broadband, uh, the House Energy and Commerce Committee leaders introduced two bills, the Satellite and Telecommunications Streamlining Act and the Secure Space Act, to modernize the Federal Communication Commission's satellite li- licensing rules for the first time in decades. The bipartisan legislation states that the FCC's authority under the Communications Act of 1934 encourages responsible space management, protects national securities, promotes investment and innovation, and furthers American leadership in the next generation of satellite communications. This bill could help streamline FCC satellite and satellite constellation approvals by setting time limits on application decisions. It could also streamline the application renewal process. And this is all very exciting because satellite has a potential to maybe offer a variety of benefits, including low latency, high bandwidth broadband connections for across the U.S. as the digital divide continues to be a reality for many.
0: Thanks, Lama. And now we're going to get into our conversation with Kier Lamont of the Future of Privacy Forum. Hi, Kier. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hey, Rima. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So... I know you pretty well <laughs> from from our time together at uh, the Future of Privacy Forum. But for anyone who's listening who doesn't know you, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're currently doing at FPF?
2: Sure. So the most important thing to know about my background is actually that I am a former ILP Foundry Fellow. So it is an absolute delight to be invited uh, back to the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Uh, But beyond that, I have been working in the tech policy, privacy, and security space uh, from many different angles and perspectives since graduating law school back in 2015. Uh, First at a civil society organization, then at a law firm, then an academic institution, then at a trade association, and now at a think tank, the Future Privacy Forum, where I had the uh, pleasure to, uh, to work with you over this uh, past semester. So at FPF, I lead our US legislation and regulation team. So I do a lot of our work tracking and preparing analysis on new US privacy proposals and laws. I also oversee much of FPF's work when we provide input to policymakers. Such as filing written comments or testifying on particular legislation.
0: Just getting right into it, I want to start with a big picture overview. Uh, What are the different privacy laws that have been a dominant part of the the discussion in privacy in 2022?
2: Uh, That's a great question. Uh, 2022 has been an extremely, and I would say surprisingly, active year for privacy legislation in the US. Uh, I'll start federally and then move on to the states. So significant progress was made in Congress over the past year on comprehensive federal privacy legislation. HR 8152, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, or ADPPA, which would set baseline rules for the collection processing and transfer of personal data throughout the economy, no matter who collects it or what it's used for. Uh, This would fill in uh, very much a gap in the US privacy landscape because although we have various sectoral privacy laws governing things like children's data, uh, healthcare data, and even video rental records, the U.S. is one of the few major economic powers in the world that lacks what we call a kind of comprehensive, unified framework uh, setting rules of the road for the use of personal information. Now, ADPA advanced out of the House Energy and Commerce Committee by an overwhelmingly bipartisan 53-2 to 2 vote, which was a seismic event for the U.S. privacy landscape and kind of capped off years of Bipartisan multi stakeholder efforts to advance comprehensive privacy legislation. However, backers of ADPA have been unable to obtain the support of outgoing Speaker Pelosi or Senate Commerce Chair Cantwell, so, further progress on the proposal appears stalled at this time. In the Senate Commerce Committee, however, uh, Chair Cantwell did advance two significant privacy related bills. The first is legislation intended to expand and strengthen the existing Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which we call COPPA 2.0. And the second bill uh, was intended to require companies to adhere to the best interests of their child users in data collection and the design of products. And that is called the Kids' Online Safety Act, or COSA. So those are several bills considered in Congress that did see movement, but at present have not yet made it over the finish line. Uh, Turning to the states, we did actually see two new comprehensive consumer privacy laws enacted at the state level. Uh, One is the Connecticut Act Concerning Personal Data Privacy and Online Monitoring, which is one of the strongest state-level privacy laws. And the second is the Utah Consumer Privacy Act, which is one of the weakest state-level privacy laws. Uh, In terms of privacy legislation that was on everyone's mind, uh, California and Colorado are two of the states that have enacted comprehensive privacy laws, but they also provide for rulemaking processes. Uh, Government entities uh, are promulgating Uh, new standards, definitions, and requirements for how those laws will actually be implemented. Those rulemaking processes are both currently underway in those two states and have been the subject of much discussion and uh, filings and debate amongst stakeholders in this space. Finally, Uh, One of the most overlooked, but I think likely most significant U.S. privacy developments in 2022 was California's enactment of the age-appropriate design code, which will require companies to set high privacy defaults for child and adolescent users. It will also require companies to conduct age estimation of their users, proportionate to the risk of harm from using their services. And this has been a controversial inclusion in that new law, because it is not fully clear what this will look like in practice. But in some cases could require uh, users, including adults, having to submit information like biometric data or government identifiers in order to access particular websites or services which clearly also implicates uh, privacy concerns.
0: Thank you, Kira. That was incredibly comprehensive. Uh, So diving a little deeper into what's coming in 2023, which existing state privacy laws are going to come into effect uh, and what are some of their key features?
2: So as of now, five states have enacted what we would consider kind of comprehensive uh, privacy legislation. And this is kind of this new era of state-level privacy laws. And come 2023, actually all of those laws will go into effect. Uh, California has an underlying privacy statute, the CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, which has been uh, in effect since 2020. However, that law has been expanded by a ballot initiative, which is going to go into effect in just a few weeks, January 1st, uh, 2023, and it will be joined by a new privacy law in Virginia, also effective January 1st. Then, mid-year, you have new privacy laws in Colorado and Connecticut taking effect. And then at the end of the year, we will have that state privacy law in Utah taking effect. So key features of these bills, there are definitely kind of similarities between all of them. In all of these bills, you will see, uh, for the most part, requirements around transparency, uh, requirements that organizations disclose how they collect, process, and share personal information. There are also requirements around data security uh, and conducting risk assessments and offering new rights to consumers, uh, rights for consumers to access, correct, delete, and in certain cases, port their personal data. Now, as I look across these uh, five different laws, I really view them as California on one side and then everything else. Uh, California, by virtue of having a, somewhat unique Uh, ballot initiative process and the legislative history around their statute uh, has certain provisions and uh, uh, key rights and obligations that are different than the other states. In the California approach, consumers have the right to opt out of the sale and sharing of their personal data and a right to limit the use and disclosure of certain sensitive personal information. Uh, The other states are all pretty much uh, follow the same definitions and the same framework for their privacy bills and are all in some ways rooted in legislation that was considered over multiple cycles in Washington state. So Colorado, Virginia, and Connecticut all require opt-in consent for uh, collecting any sensitive personal data and also provide opt-out rights for data sales targeted advertising, and profiling, which is kind of like uh, AI decision-making in furtherance of uh, what would be important life decisions. Uh, Utah, uh, I will just briefly note, is kind of most notable from what's missing from that bill. It does not contain a right to correct. It does not provide for a right to opt out of profiling and does not have uh, specific risk assessment requirements, for example.
0: I see. So you describe this sort of spectrum of state privacy laws, and I think a lot of people sort of refer to this as a patchwork. As far as the key challenges that these state laws provide as individual laws, but also in how they sort of patchwork together, what do you see as, as those challenges for industry on the horizon?
2: that's a great question and certainly kind of a big deal has been made about the challenges of a patchwork of different state privacy laws that diverge in key ways or conflict with each other developing and really making business compliance practices very difficult Uh, however as i've mentioned it does seem like outside california the states are largely converging around a particular model Uh, so although they may contain differences and be stronger or weaker in some ways, some of the threats that we heard about a burdensome patchwork of state privacy laws developing have, as of yet, not fully materialized. However, that isn't to say there are no nuances or divergences or potential issues for compliance for organizations looking to build out their processes to meet their legal obligations under these five impending state privacy laws. Uh, Little nuances are always going to be issues. Uh, All of the new state laws have slightly different thresholds for applicability. So even determining whether or not your business is covered is going to be a first step, which will require some work on the part of businesses. Uh, As another example, Uh, For the most part, uh, the laws have slightly different definitions of what constitutes sensitive personal information. Is geolocation data covered or is it not? Uh, Is health diagnosis and condition information covered or just health diagnostic information? It's going to take work on the part of businesses to account for those differences. If organizations are looking to build out a compliance program that will meet their obligations, under all five laws Uh, in many cases there are going to be compliance procedures that are going to have to be run through to meet any one of these laws Uh, that requires things like updating privacy disclosures uh, updating contracts with service providers and conducting risk assessments and all of that can take time and resources to hash out Uh, Businesses will also have to build out new consent flows and mechanisms through which consumers can exercise their new privacy rights. Uh, All of that uh, certainly takes time. Uh, As I look at it, though, there are two really big compliance challenges on the horizon for businesses at present. The first is what we call global privacy controls or opt out preference signals. Uh, Three of the state laws. California, Colorado, and Connecticut will provide a right for consumers to exercise their new privacy choices through what are called global privacy controls, which are essentially uh, HTTP headers or some other technological signal communicated by a user's browser or a browser plugin to all the websites that they visit throughout the internet. There's been a big concern with what is called kind of the notice and choice paradigm uh, approach to U.S. privacy legislation that granting users rights is great. But if you have to go website by website, company by company to exercise your rights on an individual basis, each time you want to buy a new product or visit a new website, that's just completely unmanageable. That puts a huge burden of privacy self-management on the individual. However, with this new uh, class of global privacy controls, the idea is that individuals can set it and forget it on their browser or on their computer, and their privacy preferences can be exercised and invoked automatically on their behalf as they browse the web. So there's great promise in this new class of emerging privacy controls. Uh, However, businesses will need guidance and clarity in order to develop The processes by which they know which signals to attempt to detect and how to implement these rights upon receiving a signal. Uh, There are also challenges here because the requirements for these signals also vary across the three states that provide for them. So there's plenty of potential interoperability issues at play here. Uh, The second major compliance challenge that I see is that come. 2023, California will be unique because it will be the one privacy law that doesn't just govern consumer data, the uh, information that businesses collect about me when I purchase products for them or use their services. It will also apply to employee data, the information that businesses hold on the employees who work for them. And this will be a major compliance challenge because some of these consumer rights, the right to delete uh, personal information, doesn't necessarily make sense within the context of uh, uh, an employment relationship. If there were elements of my performance review uh, that I went through this past week that I don't necessarily like, it doesn't necessarily necessarily make sense for me to request that to be deleted. So there are issues here that will have to be uh, worked out to a degree, and the California privacy law wasn't developed necessarily with the idea of uh, applying to employee data in mind. This is something of uh, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole situation that businesses are currently attempting to grapple with.
0: So these laws approach privacy from different perspectives and with different priorities in mind. And you mentioned that they also have been sort of expanding into new areas and whatnot. And so do you see these existing laws serving as a model for other states to create new privacy laws uh, in 2023 and beyond? And which states, if any, do you think are the most likely to do so in the potentially near future?
2: Sure. Well, that is the uh, million dollar question, isn't it? And uh, I wish I could say I could tell you what states will move on privacy legislation in the new year. Uh, But what we've seen over the course of multiple cycles is that the states that uh, actually do end up uh, adopting privacy legislation, it often is a surprise to many, many people in this space. Uh, I can uh, project a little bit about the landscape. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I conceive of these laws as generally following the California model or Virginia, Colorado, Utah, and Connecticut, which broadly follow the Washington state model. And these two approaches have accounted for the majority of the different privacy bills that we've seen introduced at the state level over the past three to four years. And every year we get Uh, upwards of 40, 50 different uh, state privacy laws introduced at the state level. So we're seeing a lot of activity around this. Now, to date, no state has actually introduced and passed a bill that has followed the California approach. Uh, One reason for that is because California has essentially stayed in flux over the past four years. There have been multiple rounds of amendments, a ballot initiative expanding the state law, uh, multiple regulatory processes as well. So California has been something of a moving target. If California completes its current rulemaking process and really establishes itself as a solid kind of foundation upon which to build, at that point, we may see more states begin to follow the California approach. However, uh, to date, it certainly seems like this Washington Privacy Act-style approach is what has served as a successful template for the other states that have actually been able to enact uh, consumer privacy legislation. Um, Will states continue to build on that and iterate and create new rights and protections and uh, stronger requirements? Uh, That's difficult to say at this point. It happened in Connecticut last year. However, that was the result of one extremely uh, hardworking, dedicated lawmaker who worked over multiple cycles to bring in different stakeholders uh, and work towards finally getting that law enacted. And looking across the country, it's not necessarily clear if any state is in a similar position to advance uh, privacy legislation that builds upon what's come before it next year. Uh, on the other hand, you, we may see an increasing trend in which states choose to color inside the lines of what's been enacted already at the state level. They may not choose to try to add on new rights or obligations, which could it, add to this these concerns over a patchwork developing and needlessly uh, raise compliance challenges for businesses. But they may say, hey, look, in Virginia and California now, consumers are really enjoying their new privacy rights and protections. We want to do something similar. So that's quite likely. Uh, and last year, we saw three Midwestern states, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Indiana, advanced privacy legislation that followed the Washington Privacy Act style approach and was probably somewhere between Virginia and Utah in terms of strength. Uh, pass one of the legislative chambers. So uh, bills in those states or similar types of legislation may be advanced or may be enacted come 2023. Um, Looking around, uh, there's been a a multi-stakeholder process in Oregon on privacy legislation, which would include some new wrinkles, some additional protections. Uh, there's been legislation in past cycles in New York and Massachusetts, which would do some different things and will certainly be worth watching uh, in the coming year. However, the big wild card for me looking ahead to 2023 is whether a different legislative model of approach to privacy legislation emerges something that's different than that California-style approach or that Washington-style approach. And so the opportunity to do something different for me uh, would be that federal ADPPA, the comprehensive privacy law that was considered in Congress over the past year and could potentially emerge as a new model as lawmakers begin considering what legislation they want to enact Uh, What language that has previously been introduced and debated that they could include in their own statute, they could turn to the ADPPA, which is in many cases stronger than the existing state laws and begin to move forward with language from the ADPPA, which has the potential to very much disrupt or shake up kind of the existing state privacy landscape. And already there was a bill introduced in Michigan that seemed to incorporate elements of the ADPPA uh, when it ca- came to private rights of action. So that is going to be a key point that I'm going to be watching for come the new year.
0: Well, that's a great segue because beyond the state privacy landscape, there's still a lot of discussion of the ADPPA and whether it will be passed or or survive um, and potentially become enacted in 2023 or beyond then. Um, and so beyond this notion of the ADPPA serving as a model for state privacy legislation, uh, what do you think its future might be as federal privacy legislation? And what do you think federal privacy might look like otherwise in 2023 from that broad, comprehensive level?
2: Uh, Absolutely. So I think that there is bipartisan desire in Congress and recognition of the value and need to enact uh, comprehensive consumer privacy legislation. And ADPA is certainly the closest the United States has come in at least a decade uh, in, in advance of that goal. Uh, so looking ahead to next year, uh, obviously gavels will be switching hands in the U S house of representatives as, uh, Republicans become the majority party, uh, in that chamber. Uh, we can also expect that there will be a new ranking Republican member on the Senate commerce committee. So there are going to be some new faces in leadership, uh, some different, uh, political conditions, in the US Congress that may impact the uh, present center of gravity around the federal privacy debate. However, it does seem likely that come 2023, federal lawmakers are most likely to pick up where they left off uh, over this year with ADPA, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. And so uh, briefly, Discussing the ADPPA, I think the key thing to recognize about it is that it is much stronger and broader than any of the adopted state privacy laws. Uh, For example, it has a very broad scope. It covers all small businesses, uh, whereas the state privacy laws typically have carve outs for small businesses. Uh, The ADPPA would also apply to nonprofit organizations and Colorado is the only state-level law that applies to nonprofits. Uh, ADPPA also has extremely strong data minimization provisions. Uh, Data can only be collected and used for certain specifically delineated uh, processing purposes, uh, such as uh, providing a requested good or service or conducting uh, uh, data security analysis and practices. Uh, Whereas the state laws are typically based on opt-in or opt-out consent. Uh, The ADPPA would also create new civil rights protections and require algorithmic impact assessments, which are not present in any of the state-level laws. And when it comes to enforcement, the ADPPA also contains a private right of action. Uh, It allows individuals to uh, take action to sue in their own capacity, uh, when they have uh, suffered a violation or been damaged by a violation of of the law, uh, which, again, doesn't exist in, in any of the state level laws with the minor nuance for California, which allows uh, private lawsuits, but only for data breaches, not for violations of the law's standards pertaining to actual consumer privacy protections. Um So, those are the key elements of the ADPPA that make it such a strong bill. And it has been heartening to see the level of bipartisan support uh, that has gathered in Congress behind it. Uh, Obviously, uh, there are still obstacles. Uh, Much of the debate over the ADPPA comes down to its uh, provisions on preemption. To what extent should a federal law override these different state laws? that we've seen enacted up until this point that has been a a point of uh, long-standing contention in the debates over federal privacy legislation, the ADPPA reached a compromise. It would override uh, state-level laws that are covered by the provisions of the ADPPA. Uh, It also lists a series of specific types of laws and some specific state-level laws themselves, which uh, would not be overridden by the ADPPA if enacted. And it's possible that we see continued debate over making sure that ADPPA kind of uh, draws the right lines over what is preempted and what is not preempted.
0: So broad, sweeping, comprehensive privacy has been a big part of the discussion in 2022. But what about sectoral privacy laws or laws that focus in on privacy impacts to specific communities?
2: That is a really good question. I'm expecting a big upswing, not only in attention and legislative activity around comprehensive privacy laws, uh, proposals that try to set rules Uh, for the protection of consumer data throughout the economy, but also, as you mentioned, some of these sectoral privacy laws, uh, laws that govern uh, specific categories of data or data used for particular purposes. I'll identify a few areas where I can envision uh, extensive legislative attention in the new year. The first would be children's privacy proposals. Protecting privacy is a bipartisan issue. Protecting children is a bipartisan issue. In an increasingly polarized political landscape, uh, laws that uh, would uh, hit on both of those elements have the opportunity to gain uh, significant uh, legislative support uh, and traction. Uh, As I mentioned, we saw two uh, children's-related bills in Congress advance out of the Senate Commerce Committee last year. I would expect to see uh, similar attention to proposals of that nature. Uh, In California, as I mentioned, there was a new children's online safety, privacy, and design-style bill enacted, the California Age-Appropriate Design Code. I think it's very, very likely that other states- look to that law that was enacted in California and see whether or not they want to move forward with their own age-appropriate design code style bills. So that's one category. Uh, Another category of sectoral laws that I would expect to see significant attention to would be protections for biometric data uh, and particularly the collection and use of facial recognition imaging uh, information. Uh, Last year, we saw... Uh, two or three states come very close to enacting specific biometric privacy laws uh, that were both uh, modeled quite closely on an existing biometric privacy law that exists in Illinois, and I expect similar attention uh, in the coming year. Uh, Also, uh, following the Supreme Court's uh, decision in the Dobbs case, I do expect to see... Multiple proposals introduced that would establish protections around the collection of health data and location information that could reveal uh, health data, especially uh, information uh, pertaining to uh, reproductive health care and decisions. And then finally, I think we are going to see more and more uh, policymakers uh, pay attention to artificial intelligence, especially the use of AI for algorithmic eligibility determinations that could have uh, discriminatory effects in important life categories, uh, such as access to healthcare, access to housing, uh, job opportunities, and advancement uh, within employment. Uh, we are probably largely a couple of lawmaking cycles away from the widespread adoption of uh, such laws uh, governing automated decision-making and AI. And to some extent, these issues have been addressed in comprehensive privacy legislation, but I expect AI to be a, emerge as a specific uh, regulatory and legal focus more and more.
0: Yeah, you bring up a whole number of different focus areas within tech uh, that are sort of under scrutiny within sectoral or group specific um, privacy legislation or, or for particular types of technologies or data. But what is your take on sort of the interdisciplinary nature of all this and what types of, of, skills or people do you think will have to get involved for these discussions on on privacy laws that focus on AI, on children's privacy, on content moderation, potentially, and implications coming out of laws like the age-appropriate design code?
2: Sure. So that's a really good question. Um, I think it's possible that the Kind of privacy profession is uh, in a point of evolution, and more and more we are seeing uh, issues uh, of privacy becoming intertwined with uh, historically uh, siloed concerns in other sectors. We are seeing concerns around privacy invoked more and more in the competition uh, policy field. Uh, If a merger of two companies could uh, decrease privacy outcomes for affected individuals, would that be a reason to block uh, a merger? At the same time, uh, pro-competition regulatory interventions, uh, such as making it easier for individuals to move their data between different platforms, uh, could also have privacy impacts and uh, increase uh, risks of uh, data breaches. So the ability for privacy professionals to discuss not just the protection and use and sharing of consumer data but also be conversant in these other fields is particularly important uh, you met, you mentioned AI uh, you mentioned uh, uh, content uh, moderation there were, there were definitely related provisions there in california's uh, age appropriate design code there are date uh, 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 risk assessment requirements. And those risk assessments will not only look at privacy risks, but also uh, risks to safety and, and risks of harm to, to users. So to the extent that these obligations or these new requirements from these this new era of laws that touch more broadly than just privacy uh, fall to the privacy councils and the privacy professionals at companies there is going to be ha, have to be a step of a broadening uh, of skill uh, and experience uh, within within the profession
0: so i think from this conversation one thing is very clear uh, privacy is complicated and there's a ton going on in the field uh, between all of these laws and everything that might be coming down the pipeline. What is your overall takeaway on what is going to change um, perhaps most significantly in 2023 and beyond?
2: 2023 is definitely going to be a tremendously busy year for legislation. Uh, both comprehensive and sectoral, and at both the federal, state, and in some cases, the local level, as policymakers increasingly uh, recognize that there was a demand amongst consumers for better protections and control over the personal data that is collected about them. Uh, But 2023 is also going to be the year that many of these that all of the comprehensive laws that have been enacted at the state level are going to go into effect so beyond the kind of legislative horse races uh, it's going to be really interesting to see okay now in these five states consumers have new rights and protections for the collection and use of personal data what is actually going to happen when those laws go into effect, to what extent will individuals be taking advantage of and using those rights and at what rates and with what companies and with what types of companies and how will this impact uh, consumer attitudes and preferences? Will there be a sense among consumers in those states that their privacy is better protected and they have more trust uh, using uh, different online and connected and data-enabled and driven products and services? Uh, will these laws be effective in achieving that aim? And and if not, uh, what can we learn from that? And how can future proposals be strengthened to ensure that America's emerging approach to privacy achieves these goals and provides meaningful protections for consumers and that consumers are able to exercise and enjoy this new era of uh, privacy rights?
0: Thank you, Kier. And- For our listeners, do you have any resources or recommended organizations to follow um, as far as keeping track of what is happening in 2023 with privacy?
2: Sure, definitely. You can follow my organization, The Future of Privacy Form. We have a uh, monthly newsletter uh, that you can sign up for on our website where we send a readout of uh, what we're engaged in and legislative updates. Uh, I also will post about uh, interesting legislative updates uh, on the Bird app. You can follow me at at sign Kier underscore Lamont. Uh, and yeah, or you can just look me up online and reach out with any questions or, or feedback I am, I am not hard to find
0: Is the bird up Twitter? is that what Yes it is <laughs> these days no that's great. okay well, thank you so much Kier. It's always a pleasure to pick your brain on this stuff. I feel like I'm always learning something new uh, from our our conversations on privacy. So much appreciated and we'll be sure to Keep up with your take in the new year.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It has uh, been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at foundrypodcasts at ilpfoundry.us. Also, we'll be left in the show notes or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. We want to hear from you about how we can make the show better in 2023. I'm Rima Musa, the host, producer, and editor of the show, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, particularly Tim Lorden, Lama Mohammed, our social coordinator, and Allison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator. If you're interested in joining the Foundry, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on applications for our next class of Foundry Fellows. Dropping soon. Signing off. See you next Thursday.